Thank you for joining us for the Lafayette Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Please join us each week as we listen to lessons given on Sunday mornings at the Lafayette Church of Christ. And good morning, church. It is uh, great, great to be here this morning and, and to worship uh, with all of you the, this morning, as, as always. Uh, the, the sermon this morning is, is going to be part of, of our uh, series, The Crown, out of, of 1 Kings, so it's not going to have anything to do uh, with, the, the, with the back to school theme, uh, which is kind of lame. Uh, but uh, I wanted to, uh, to, to at least say my, my two cents along those lines. Uh, and, and say that uh, people who work in education tend to be, generally speaking, my favorite people on planet Earth. Uh, just always pretty much, pretty much the best folks. Uh, if I wasn't a, a preacher, I would want to be a, a teacher or a librarian of, of some sort. Basically, I want uh, to, to grow up and be Jordan. Uh, is this what I'm trying to say? In more ways than one. Uh, physically even grow up and look like Jordan. That would be, that would be nice. Uh, so, in facial hair, a number, of, yeah, what else, how else do I need to become like Jordan? Uh, uh, kindness, you just start yelling all the different things, so. Uh, so, so on, on top of uh, praying for, for our children and our teens and uh, seeing Wyatt hold Izzy up here and, and that, that special moment, uh, I, I do think it's appropriate for us to have taken the time to, to recognize these folks, and it's been a blessing for me to hear uh, from from Jackie, who most a lot of you probably know, but Jackie was a, a lifelong educator, and, and also from uh, Alex and Jordan and Felicia, who who are educators and work in our school systems currently. So I'm thankful for people like them, uh, and and like I said, want want, want to be more like them um, as as I go forward in life. So as we get going this morning, uh, I'd encourage you to have your your Bibles or uh, your Bible apps open to to First Kings chapter 11, uh, and then into to chapter 12. This is going to be one of the sermons in the series, ha- haven't all been like this, uh, but one of them where we're going to try to cover a, a good chunk of, of the storyline at a pretty high level, and then we'll, we'll occasionally zoom in in some uh, particular places. So we'll do a, a fair bit of, uh, of scripture reading throughout, so that'll help if you have your Bibles open, and you may want to be doing some, some skimming and some reading uh, additionally as, as we go. So Last week, we, we finally arrived at the first part of chapter 11. We arrived at the, the downfall of Solomon, which we had been uh, building toward uh, for some number of weeks. Uh, I was actually proud of, uh, of you all. None of you actually texted Lacey uh, and told her I said it was okay to have a thousand women in your life, uh, which is, I was uh, proud of you because that's not at all what I said. Uh, so that was good. I was also a little bit disappointed because it would have been, that would have been nice. Um, but uh, we, we do see, even if, okay, maybe the, the, the supreme problem was not having the, the thousand women in his life, uh, we do see this story of, of Solomon uh, committing apostasy as, as he willfully uh, chooses to, to serve and to worship many other gods. And so Yahweh, in, in response to that, I think very reasonably uh, rejects Solomon. And he promises Solomon that he's going to tear this kingdom away from his descendants, but says that he's, he's not going to do it uh, until after Solomon dies as an act of remembrance towards his, his father David. And we're going to see God hold true to that, to that word, as, as he always does, and yet God doesn't promise 
that he's going to make Solomon's final days necessarily very easy or enjoyable. And so while the kingdom is, is not going to be torn uh, directly away from him in his life as promised, he's certainly beginning to lose a grip on, on this kingdom. And we read in chapter 11 about all this political turmoil, which had been very foreign to his reign earlier on. We read about all this uh, political turmoil brewing in different regions. And so, again, if you have your Bibles, you can read about one opponent named Hadad. I, apparently that's actually how you say it, Hadad. Uh, starting in, in verse 14. Uh, and then there's another opponent named uh, Rezon, and his story is, is there in verse 23. But it's really in verse 26 that we, we are introduced to a much more central and, and significant uh, enemy of Solomon, uh, Solomon's, and it's, it's a man named Jeroboam. Many of you probably know that within a chapter or two from now, uh, this very Jeroboam is going to become the first king of the northern kingdom of, of Israel. But we are introduced to Jeroboam in chapter 11 as kind of like a, a skilled uh, manager in, in Solomon's workforce. He was in charge of overseeing a, a certain portion of the forced laborers working on, on one of Solomon's building projects, uh, which is going to be important for us to remember here in, in a few minutes. And so Jeroboam is not a nobody, uh, he has some skill and some importance, but he's just one of many, many people in Solomon's employ. His mom is, is a widow. He has no royal lineage. He's just a guy that, that works for Solomon. And for whatever reason, God selects this uh, Ephraimite named Jeroboam to play a very sad but still a very important role in the biblical story. So let's pick up our reading down in, in verse 29 of chapter 11, and we'll, we'll read for a bit and see this scene that unfolds between this random, at this point, man named Jeroboam and a prophet from God who appears to him. Verse 29, about that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. And the two of them were alone out in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing, and he tore it into 12 pieces. And then he said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, God, the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. I think that would have been news to Jeroboam. He's just trying to do his job, head out of Jerusalem. This prophet shows up and gives him this message. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel... He will have one tribe. I will do this, going back to last week, I will do this because they have forsaken me and they have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. And they have not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decrees and laws as David, Solomon's father, did. And we really studied a lot of that, that last week. And this prophet is, is catching Jer Jeroboam up to speed. We continue to read into verse 34. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees. I will take the kingdom from his son's hand and give you ten tribes. I will give one tribe, or really kind of two tribes, uh, to his son, so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp 
before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. And so, so far in this prophecy, most of it, uh, this prophecy by Ahijah, is still really about King Solomon. This is a prophecy to Jeroboam, but he's really talking about how Solomon is going to be punished and how Jeroboam has, has a role to play in that punishment. And for you first and second Samuel people, this story has a lot of echoes of kind of the end of King Saul's reign, where the, the reign of King Saul is coming to a close and it's going to be handed over to, to the eventual King David. But in verse 34, the, the focus kind of turns away from Solomon. So we're moving past Solomon and, and his failed reign. And Ahijah gives a message, this time actually to Jeroboam. And he gives a message about the future potential of Jeroboam's uh, own reign over the, t- the, the ten tribes that he's going to receive. And I think this is really interesting in verse 37. However, as for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands. This, these phrases should all sound interesting. Or uh, not interesting. They can be interesting too, but they should sound familiar. Uh, as David, my servant, did, I will be with you. And I think God means that promise here to Jeremiah. I, I will be, be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. What I want you to see is, is that I think here God, through this prophet, is describing to Jeroboam that, that that same promise that he made back to Saul, the same promise that he made to David, really the same promise that he made to, to Solomon, can still apply even to Jeroboam. He's, he's trying to say, if you will be a king who listens to me and who walks in my ways and who does what is right, then you are going to be blessed and, and we can be in, in this a covenant relationship together. I think God is genuinely trying to communicate to, to Jeroboam that the house of Jeroboam can become just as firm and established as the house of, of David. One of the things I, I've been kind of wrestling with is, is this doesn't really necessarily mean, or it, it doesn't mean that God cares about a really specific lineage, or he cares about a, a really specific bloodline. I'm only here for this family or this family. What God is looking for is for a king or a a succession of kings who will actually be faithful to him and who will obey him and who will walk in all of his ways. And if that king comes from the house of Jeroboam, then great. And if that king comes from the house of David, then then great. And so God is extending a really fair chance now to to Jeroboam, just as he extended to to these other kings. So Jeroboam receives this message. He's not going to actually listen to it, but he receives this message Somehow Solomon hears about this and, uh, of course, feels threatened uh, by it. And so for the time being, Jeroboam is forced to run and hide uh, in Egypt, which seems to be what everybody does. Uh, it's just, uh, we can't be in Israel anymore, let's go to Egypt. That happens a lot in the Bible. I'm realizing that right now. Um, but he, go, he goes to Egypt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide out there for a while uh, until Solomon dies. And we read about Solomon dying at, at the end of, of chapter 11. And so at the end of chapter 11, Solomon dies. Uh, as the king, and his crown that he's worn for for some time now passes to his son, Rehoboam. So before we get into chapter 12, I want to make sure we're on the same page because things are about to get a little confusing here. Uh, There is still only one king over all Israel and Judah, and his name is Rehoboam, and he is the, the son of Solomon. 
But the narrator has already told us about this little side story unfolding. This is a multiple perspective story uh, unfolding. He's already told us that this Jeroboam, who's somewhat of a nobody and who is not at all related to Rehoboam, uh, has been promised by God that he's going to receive 10 of these 12 tribes. Now, why God had to choose one king whose name literally rhymes with the other king but has no family relationship is a little bit frustrating to me. Uh, this, I've never been able to remember this, and i got about a week and a half left of preaching about these two guys, and I'm going to botch it a lot. Um, so there's Jeroboam and Rehoboam. One day I'm going to be at the pearly gates. I'm going to say, God, why couldn't it have been Rehoboam and Frank? Or just something, <laughs> just something. It's like, yep, Frank is in the north. Rehoboam's in the south. One of them is the son of David. The other one has no relation. But instead we have Rehoboam and Jeroboam, no relation, uh, and yet these are, are the two names that, that we'll be looking at uh, here at the end of this series. So before their story even unfolds in, in the text, we already know what's going to happen because God has very explicitly said this is what's going to happen. Uh, but we, what we don't really know is much about the hearts uh, of these two men. Uh, we don't really know what their reigns are, are going to be like. Are they going to be just and, and righteous and, and faithful uh, like, like David was? Or are they going to be unjust and unrighteous and unfaithful like Saul and, and Solomon ended up being? And unfortunately, we're, we're, not, we're not going to have to read very far into the story uh, to, to find those answers. So let's start reading again in, in chapter 12. This is now back to the story of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Rehoboam, after his father's death, went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. And when here we go. Jeroboam, son of Nabat, heard this. He was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for so the people uh, sent for Jeroboam. Shechem is up in the north. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, "Your father, talking about Solomon, so that king that just died. Your father put a heavy yoke on us." But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. So remember that little detail I snuck in there back from chapter 11 that I, I had uh, never noticed until, until this study. Uh, remember back to what Jeroboam's prior job had been before this prophet showed up to him and told him he was going to be the king of Israel. Jeroboam's prior job was to oversee some of the forced laborers in, in Solomon's uh, workforce. So Jeroboam had probably uh, witnessed firsthand some of the unjust economic and work practices that he had been overseeing, but ultimately was, were commands given down from the king to, to build this and to build that and to patch that and to rebuild that wall. All of these practices that over time uh, appear to have been more and more unjust. And so Jeroboam and the, and the rest of the assembly, I think rightfully so, this is kind of a a protest or a, what do they call it? Uh, what's it called when you don't show up to work? Right. A strike. Oh, there you go. This is like a, a protest or a strike that I think they have some merit behind, right? They're saying, we're, we'll, we'll serve you, but things have to change around here. We'll keep showing up to work, but, but you need to change your ways. Uh, and, and so if I'm Ray Bum, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'll give a little bit here, and then I, I have a peaceful kingdom work with. Not so much. So starting in verse 5, we see Rehoboam's response. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days. That's a good approach. And then come back to me. So the people went away. And then King Rehoboam consulted the elders 
who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people making these great demands? And they replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your people. Sounds like a really good game plan. Sacrifice a little right now, you know, ease up, work, better work, rest, balance, that kind of thing. And then they will, they will uh, like you for that and they will serve you forever. It seems like a good plan. But verse 8, Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. And I would imagine, tell him anything that he wants to hear. And so he asked them, well, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, this is their advice, tell them this, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. The second time in the church building, the word scorpion has been used today. Uh, came up in class this morning. But he's the, not, we're not going to just scourge you with whips. The new approach is we're going to scourge you with scorpions. So what we have here is, is a pretty classic story of a young king coming into power and ignoring uh, and spurning the, the wisdom of, of the older sages around him and, and instead siding with his, his buddies. And the advice that those who grew up with him give him, frankly, is really, really bad and short-sighted advice. Uh, and he follows it to a T. So not only does he agree to, uh, to, not only does he not agree to ease their hard service under these harsh conditions, he does the opposite. And he promises that he's going to make it worse their workload will be even heavier, and their punishments will be even harsher. And not only does he promise to make their conditions worse, uh, but he does so in a very disrespectful and, uh, I would say, a, even a crude way. Uh, most scholars, because Children's Church this morning, uh, most scholars uh, seem to agree uh, that that phrase in verse 10 about his little finger and his father's waist uh, might be a little bit of a, a euphemism. Uh, in, in the Hebrew, if you catch my drift. And so uh, Rehoboam is even being kind of crude and disrespectful in the way that he's talking to the people, in the way that he's talking about his own power, in the way that he's, he's referencing his, his father uh, Solomon. And so the reign of Rehoboam's father Solomon at least had started on a really good note. It ends on a bad note, but the beginning of his reign, it's all wisdom, and Solomon did this right and this right. Right off the bat here with Rehoboam, we see him demonstrating great folly uh, in the first verses we, we read about him. And yet, look at the, the last verse of, of this section, verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people. That's the outcome. For this turn of events was from the Lord. To fulfill the word, the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through uh, Ahijah the, the Shilonite. So Rehoboam's folly which we see in this refusal to meet the demands uh, of Jeroboam and the people, is ultimately utilized by God as part of his sovereign plan to punish Solomon and to do all the other stuff he said. And that's kind of a theological dilemma that we run into a lot in Scripture and one we're not going to unpack this morning. But recognize we can say Rehoboam is in the wrong here, and I would say he's being foolish at the very least and probably being sinful, I would say, uh, and yet we're also seeing the way that, that God is utilizing this 
foolishness to accomplish his plans and purposes. So uh, let's move on to this, this final little stretch of text here, and we're, we're heading that, that way towards the close. Uh, we're going to read, beginning in verse 16, about some of the, the repercussions of, of really everybody's sins, especially Rehoboam's and uh, his ill-advised mistakes. So we read in 16, When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, Well, then, what share do we have in David? What, what do we want to have to do with you and your family if you're going to keep treating us like this? What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, uh, except they probably roared that and like, threw their hands in the air. I can't yell enough. Uh, to your tents, Israel. Imagine that being like really exciting. To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. Uh, enough of you. I don't want anything else to do with the house of David. We're going to our own tents up north in Israel. So the Israelites went home, using Israelites there as kind of proper. Those from the, the ten northern tribes of Israel go home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, really in the tribes of, of Judah and, and Benjamin, Rehoboam still ruled over them. And so Rehoboam's solution, let's send this one guy up there and see if he can make peace. Well, they end up stoning that guy. Uh, and then Rehoboam is like, I need to escape in a chariot. And then we, we, we get some other details here. The point of this little section is verse 19. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Uh, and when all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent him, uh, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel, only the tribe of Judah, and really also kind of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, remained loyal to the house of David. And so the main point of this section, uh, kind of grouping these stories together this morning, and, and really the, the main takeaway from, from this week's big long passage, is that the crown, the title of the series, what we've been kind of focused on, the crown, Solomon, or Saul, David, uh, Solomon, the crown has now become the crowns. Uh, there are, are now two kings uh, wearing two different crowns, ruling over two different mini kingdoms uh, in place of the one king with one crown reigning over the, the, one, uh, the one kingdom. Rehoboam and Jeroboam and their descendants are now going to be ruling over this split kingdom that we spend a few hundred years in the rest of the Bible history and into the prophets did this prophet go in the north, or did it go in the south? And there's all of those kind of confusing things to keep track of. This is the, this is the source of that division, and it truly is a, a, a tragedy. Uh, even if these two kingdoms uh, are able to stay committed to one another and maintain a peaceful relationship with one another, which they're not going to be able to do, even if their individual kings are able to be, remain faithful and, and loyal, and even if they're both able to serve Yahweh, which they're not going to do, it is still a, a sad and a tragic turn of events to have the united kingdom of all 12 tribes torn and split into two kingdoms. And ultimately, that's because this crown and this kingdom and this, this individual king was supposed to represent the, the righteousness and the justice and the sovereignty of, of God the king over all the earth of Yahweh here on earth. The king was supposed to be a reminder of the much bigger and more important reality that the Lord God is the king, not only of Israel and Judah, but the king over everywhere. And so a human king, whether that's Saul or David or Solomon or Jeroboam or Rehoboam or all the other 
people that mostly start with an A, uh, which is also confusing. All of those kings, they're only effective insofar as they are ruling and reigning in a way that points all the peoples of the earth to the perfect rule and, and reign of, of God above. And so we're going to spend one more week in this series. We're going to give Jeroboam and Rehoboam a shot at getting things on track, and we're going to give them a shot at, at ruling righteously and justly and, and faithfully as, as King David uh, was mostly able to, to do. Uh, but I'll go ahead and spoil it and tell you uh, that we know they both fail miser miserably, and most of the ones that come after them in their two uh, royal lineages fail miserably, and they fail much more quickly even than King Solomon did. And uh, as we've already seen this morning, Rehoboam right off the bat is not ruling with righteousness and justice and peace, but he's ruling harshly uh, and with plenty of, of injustice. And so, even though it's a new sermon and another couple chapters into the story, we are ultimately left... And this is kind of the point in tracing some of this out a little bit. We are ultimately left exactly where we were at the end of last week's passage and the end of last week's message, which is that we're, we're looking for a bit of hope that will get us through to this coming Tuesday and a part of the biblical story that seemingly offers no hope whatsoever. And so we concluded last week with uh, reading the, the genealogy of, of King Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, a genealogy, by the way, that contains the name of Rehoboam, this foolish, uh, crude, and, and harsh ruler. And so I wanted to conclude this week in the exact same way, with just another uh, similar grasp for hope uh, for God's people this morning. And we're going to stay in the Old Testament this time and read a, a messianic prophecy from Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, that points forward to a future king. So if you would, please stand. Um, and we're going to read this, uh, this word of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 11, a little bit forward into the storyline. But be thinking about Rehoboam, be thinking about Jesus. Isaiah 11, 1 to 9, and it reads, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will not, neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This morning, we are gathered to, to worship, back there in verse 1, that shoot 
that has come up from the stump of Jesse. I want you to think about that stump imagery for a moment. That's an agricultural thing we, we miss sometimes. Think about that stump imagery. This family tree of Jesse and David and Solomon and Rehoboam ultimately looks like it's nothing but a stump. It, it appears to have been chopped off, cut off, and it appears to be completely lifeless. And yet, from, from that very stump, God promises to bring forth a shoot, just a little growth from that stump, who will grow up to be the great hope for all humanity. And we believe, as Christians, something like 2,700 years later, we believe that little shoot that grows for, forth from the stump of Jesse is named King Jesus, and we believe that his reign here on earth is characterized by God's spirit, and we believe it's characterized by Christ's wisdom, and by his righteousness and justice, and by his peace. And so this morning, we're choosing to exalt King Jesus on, on high, and we're choosing to proclaim him to be the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And we get to worship that God this morning. So let's sing.